from WIS Politics in Madison. You're listening to Capital Chats. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam Kellenhofer with WISPolitics.com here with a Capital Chats episode brought to you by Spectrum. Today, I'm joined in the office in Madison by my colleague Kate Morton to talk about an interview she just did on the education beat with the state superintendent Jill Underly. She oversees all of the K-12 schools in Wisconsin. So Kate, what did you and Underly talk about? Well, Adam, we touched a lot on the state budget. Governor Evers has proposed more than $2 billion for the Department of Public Instruction, and he has a lot of different focuses on that budget. One of the things we touched on was mental health for students, which is a big interest of Governor Evers in that budget. We also talked a little bit about the private school choice aspect of things, and Dr. Underly kind of said that, you know, the legislature is having trouble already funding public schools, so that should be the priority. And at the end of the interview, we touched a little bit on some of the gun violence that's affected schools recently. And Underly told me she's focused on making sure that guns stay out of schools. All right. Well, thank you for joining me, Dr. Underly, um, for Capital Chats. I really appreciate it. Um, We can first just start off talking a bit about the state budget, especially with the DPI proposals. I believe it's more than $2.8 billion. Um, So we know it's probably not likely that every single item will end up in the final budget. So do you think that there are any areas that are particularly good opportunities for bipartisan agreement on that? I think they're all great areas for bipartisan agreement, mostly because public schools are for everybody, right? Um, Doesn't matter your political affiliation. It's nonpartisan, you know, as far as school boards and my position for a reason. Um, impacts rural areas and urban areas and suburban and everywhere in between. Um, and when you think about the the impact that it could have, I mean, I'm really optimistic, first of all, because we are investing in the youth right now um, and it'll pay dividends down the line in the future. When you think about the economy and you think about jobs and you think about quality of life, Um, when you think about earnings and what we're able then to collect as a state on taxes, when you think about startups and you think about um, innovation, um, we want the state to be a place that people will move to. Um, It's a gorgeous state. It's got excellent natural resources. And if people are going to move here, um, we need to have good schools. And so in order for our schools to thrive, they need spendable revenue. And so you see that in what we are putting towards, you know, um, increasing the revenue that schools can generate on their own, plus a per pupil adjustment. We're seeing that um, investing in the aftermath of COVID and mental health and teacher recruitment and retention. Um, We can't say no to those things because especially in the mental health and making sure that we have qualified people in front of our kids. I mean, those are those are extremely important. Um, and then one other piece on the revenue side is the special education reimbursement rate. That benefits every school and every community. And so I think there's a lot of areas for agreement. I'm really optimistic because we have the resources and I hope that our legislature agrees. 
Okay, well, maybe you could say a little bit more about your conversations with legislators, uh, specifically on the Joint Finance Committee. They have a lot of power. They're going through their budget um, sessions right now. So um, I guess what have those conversations been like? They've been very positive. Um, I think they, you know, they have acknowledged that schools need the resources. Um, you know, the the difference, I think, is that they will always, you know, disagree on how much is enough because there's so many competing priorities. Um, public schools has always been the largest expenditure, however, of the state. Um, and I think that that's, that's telling. I mean, certainly it's our responsibility as a state to fund our schools and not the responsibility of the federal government or really it shouldn't be the sole burden of our local taxpayers either. And I I believe the Joint Finance Committee um, understands that. Okay, well, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the measures related to mental health in the budget proposal. Um, There's a lot of different measures to address mental health for students. So I'm just wondering, are there any in particular that you think you'll be able to get included in the final budget? And why do you think these measures are so important to include? Well, they're important to include um, for a couple of reasons. Well, the first being that whenever I go out and I talk to people and I talk to parents and I talk to teachers and I ask them about their schools and their kids and, you know, I always ask about their kids first. But then when we get to the conversation about schools and what could we be doing, the number one thing they say that they're concerned about with their kids, especially, and that they feel like the schools can really help with is mental health. Um, it's been a problem ongoing um, before COVID. It just got worse during COVID. You know, when you think about the stress and the emotional toll that that pandemic took on everybody, not just kids, but parents, teachers, everybody. Um, and so what our proposal does is it uh, it funds every school um, through the district um, to make sure that they're able to get a qualified person for mental health. Um, solely for mental health. Um, Currently, as it is right now, our school staff are stretched. Um, School counselors, school social workers, teachers are, you know, applying mental health first aid more or less. Um, And we need to change that. We need to dedicate it to professionals trained in those areas, um, whether they're in buildings or whether they're contracted. Um, I think it's doable. In the past, we've relied on our schools to apply for grants. And that's really burdensome, especially when you think about small school districts where the needs are really great because they may live far away from mental health providers and kids may have to miss school in order to receive that that help. And so this brings the services to the kids and the kids are located in the schools. And so I think it's a really great, great program. Okay. I also want to touch on the state's youth risk behavior survey um, for 2021 it showed nearly half of gay, lesbian, or bisexual students seriously considered attempting suicide. And according to a DPI analysis, 53% of trans students considered suicide. So what do you think can be done to address these disproportionate mental health effects? Yeah, the time is now, right? Because we can't wait on these things. I mean, we have to save these lives. Um, And it's when I shared earlier when I talk to parents, I mean, we certainly hear the urgency in their voices when they talk about mental health and they want to help their kids as well. It's just, they don't know how. Um, 
so, you know, certainly making sure that schools have access to that funding um, and that we, we enact measures to make sure that schools are safe and welcoming for everybody. Um, you know, staff members are the front lines. They are the ones that kids are connecting with inside school. Um, I'm sure we can all think of that person um, when we were in high school um, or middle school or elementary school that we connected to on that personal level. And so making sure that our schools are, are safe and welcoming for all, um, and then ensuring that we have, um, you know, the, the funding in place so that we can support the kids at the highest risk. Okay. Um, another topic is that's got a lot of conversation around it is private school choice. Uh, Republican leaders have talked about this idea of universal school choice and getting rid of uh, things like income caps, but the state budget actually proposes to freeze enrollment and kind of put a little more of a restriction on the private school programs. So why do you think that is necessary to do? Um, why I think it's necessary is because we can't afford two systems right now, right? We've been doing this for 30 years, and of course, um, choices ballooned in the past 10 years, I'd, I'd, argue, I'd argue. But it, right now, um, there's so many needs among all our communities, and public schools serve all our communities. So we're at a moment, you know, where our public schools are at a tipping point, and they're the place where our focus should be. And we need transparent um, public school funding where it's ongoing and sustainable. And by, you know, increasing vouchers and calling for universal choice, bottom line uh, is that we can't afford two systems. You know, we can't afford two systems of school funding where, you know, when you think about it, the legislature is really struggling to fund the one that we have that serves the vast majority of school school kids in Wisconsin. There are 850,000 public school kids, and that's where our focus needs to be. Okay, so more generally, what would you say your biggest priorities are related to education in the state uh, moving forward? Well, my biggest priority is getting the, school, the public schools the resources that they need so that they can address all these ongoing needs. Um, my, my list includes, obviously, spendable revenue, so that they can, you know, look at teacher salaries so that they can get the programs in place that kids need to be successful. Um, looking at early childhood literacy, looking at literacy in general and making sure teachers are, are trained in order to provide the best methods and instruction to their students. Um, looking at getting more funding into our special, educa special education reimbursement formula because our schools are really struggling as inflation has hit them um, in instructional pieces around special education. Um, you know, there's certainly uh, shortages of staff and, and teachers. And so looking at um, how we can help ease um, the burden there for our school districts. Um, one of my, in addition to mental health, and I think this is part of it as well, is uh, universal meals. I think that it's important that we consider uh, how we can support children and families further by taking one more thing off their plate to worry about. And that would include, you know, being able to walk into school and have access to breakfast or lunch. I mean, just a, a personal story is that, you know, I have the means, obviously, um, to pay for my kids' lunches, but it's such a stressor, you know, when you're running around 
um, taking care of kids, getting ready for your own job and, and life. And our, you know, a lot of times the kids aren't hungry right away in the morning when I'm trying to get them out the door. Um, and then, you know, making sure that they grab something and go. I think when kids go to school, just to be able to have access to meals um, so that they're ready to learn, regardless of their financial background, um, takes away the stigma as well, you know, when it comes around those kinds of things. Um, we provide free textbooks. We provide free transportation. Um, why shouldn't we be providing another critical component of their education experience? Okay. There's just one more thing I want to ask you about before we wrap up. Um there have been a bunch of awful school shootings recently, and there's also been legislation introduced relating to allowing teachers to have uh, guns on school grounds in certain cases. So what are your thoughts on those proposals? I guess my my thought is that the answer to gun violence isn't more guns, um, just, you know, very frankly. Um, I mean, school shootings and shootings in general happen anywhere in the United States, and we need to stop them all from happening. Um, I think we need to protect our children, certainly by really examining and changing our access to guns, especially the, the military grade weapons that, you know, how are kids able to get their hands on these things? It's really unfathomable. But um, when we talk about safety, though, and we talk about school, we have to really look at what's causing um the school shootings, and it's not the schools that are causing school sh school shootings. So I think we need to really also look at um, the rampant access to guns, but also continue to ensure that our schools are the safest places for kids, um, not just physically and facilities, but I'm also talking about connections and relationships. Um, kids need to feel safe to be themselves to be who they are, to not be bullied, to not be ostracized for being themselves. And really that starts um, with school culture and, and safety in that, in that definition. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. I appreciate your time. You bet, Kate. I'm really excited to hear it. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. All right, Kate, very interesting to hear what Underly has to say. That was actually the first election that I ever covered for WIS Politics, so it's interesting to hear from Underly again. And if our listeners want to see more about the Department of Public Instruction and schools in Wisconsin, they can head over to our website at wispolitics.com. But for now, I'm Adam Kelnhofer. I'm Kate Morton. Thanks for tuning in to WIS Politics Capital Chats, brought to you by Spectrum.